0: Uh, Well, good morning, everyone, and like Brendan said, happy Youth Day. This is a massive uh, day as we remember the past, remember uh, what people have fought for, for what we live in today in South Africa, and just real heroes in the history of this country. So we do want to honor the past and also look ahead to a bright future for South Africa and the plans and purposes God has for our nation. And a happy Father's Day to all the dads, too. Um, maybe one last notice before I get into my message for today is that we've been in the space for about three months now. We were meant to be here for three weeks. I kind of said it was eight weeks when the school told me three weeks. I knew it would be a little bit longer than they said, but we've ended up being here for probably almost 16 weeks now. And um, it's been a good space to us. I think most of you have been nudging me, saying we'd actually rather stay here. We like meeting outside afterwards under the trees. Coffee works well. This works well for us. So we've been speaking to the school, and they're quite excited about us being in here. We are trying to make that happen. We've just got one or two things to organize with that. But the school is going to be um, sanding all of these floors and re them starting on Tuesday. So we are kind of gypsy church at the moment. We were in the multi-purpose center. We're in here. We're going back to the multi-purpose center next week for the next couple of weeks. And then hopefully we will be back in here permanently as a beautiful space. We do want to put a screen in here so that we don't um, waste paper every week. Please recycle your sheets of paper, but also just so that we can show things and just put things up on the screen. But we're looking forward to customizing this to be a good space for us as a church. If you don't mind praying with me, let's just pray and then we'll get into the word. Um, Father, we look to you and we, we welcome you here and we pray that you would meet with us and speak to us. But we are not just here for something to do on a Sunday morning. We really do want to meet with the living God. So we welcome you here and we say, Holy Spirit, have your way and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you guys saw it last year. Um, You can watch it on YouTube if you missed it. But Omo released their new TV advert in June 2018, Omo the detergent brand. And it's this very, very cute ad. It'll pull on your heartstrings. It'll give you all the feels. It's this little boy sitting on a coffee table, and he's reading from this homemade Father's Day card. And he starts to say these things. Thank you for always being there for me. You took me to my first soccer match and clapped for me when I kicked the goal. You taught me how to build a fire, to tie a tie, and hammer a hammer. And then in that moment, the camera cuts away from the little boy to a granny sitting there on the couch. And he says, Gogo, you are my hero. And he comes up and he gives her this big hug. And she's crying, he's crying. And the words come up on the screen. To all those who have taken on this amazing role, Omo wishes you a happy Father's Day. Isn't that Beautiful. The ad actually starts with a statistic right at the beginning, which is quite jarring, that 57% of South African kids are raised without fathers. 57. That's actually a statistic from 2002. The 2016 SA Stats research, after going through 1.3 million households, finds that actually that stat's a little bit too low. It's more like 64.1% of South African kids are growing up without a father. According to the latest released figures, 897,750 children are born in South Africa each year. And out of those children, only 62% of those births have fathers, sorry, 62% of those births have no father's details on the documents that are filed. That's our context in South Africa today. For many of you, that is your story, you know, which makes Father's Day in our country an interesting space. It's a day for some to celebrate, but it's also a day for some that is painful and can be quite sore. Now, I think one of the things that that advert captures, and I know you're going to look at it later. We did have a screen. We put it up now. But is the fact that fathers have a unique and important and powerful role in their children's lives. Fathers give a gift to their children that actually is so important and so, so needed. But the other thing that that advert captures, which is so powerful, is that in the absence of those fathers in our country today, there are many goggles or grannies or powerful single moms, uncles, brothers, sisters, friends, church members, other fathers who can sometimes step into the gap and can play a role in children's lives and can give them those things that they have not found from their father. I think as a pastor, I've found that to be so true. You know, speaking to so many people over the years, this father gap is a reality for so many people. You know, people telling me their stories, telling me about growing up without a dad or a difficult dad or a difficult home situation. It's still very raw for so many people many, many years, even after they've moved out of home. Some people have said to me that they haven't understood why their dad didn't want them or how he found it so easy, seemingly, to leave and never contact them again. Some have said to me it it almost made them feel worthless, you know, like they were able to be discarded easily and just left to one side. I think some people have said to me that they felt rejected. I know this is a cliched story, but I think it's a cliche because it's so common that they sat at home waiting on the days that their dad said that he would come, and he just didn't come. They waited again and again. Surely he's on his way, and then another day would go by without their dad coming to fetch them and visit with them. Some people have told me how because they didn't find affirmation or acceptance or love or approval or embrace from their father, that they went to other people, other open arms to try and find that, just so that someone would tell them that actually you are lovable, you are worthy, you are special, you are important. I think for so many people, they're also still living to see, actually, Dad, I'm worth something. You know, Some people have grown up in homes where their father's words are quite abusive Words like you're stupid, words like you're worthless, you're useless, you're an idiot. Those kind of words have been stuck in kids' minds and have defined them, defined maybe us here today. And we're still trying to fight that lie that is stuck with us and actually prove to our dads, I've got what it takes, I'm worth something. You want to hear those words from your dad, I'm proud of you. I don't know if that is your story today, but I do know for a number of people in this church and many, many people in this city, that is our story. And these kinds of experiences leave us with these father wounds, these injuries or scars or hurts internally, emotionally that we bear. And on top of that, sometimes father vacuums these gaps in our lives where what our dads were meant to give to us weren't given to us. So there's just this gap in our souls where we're looking for something else to fill it and sometimes filling those gaps with things which are really unhelpful and really not good for us. But there is some good news. For those of us who haven't had a perfect father or a present father or who haven't had a father who knows what we need or how to give that to us, all of us do have a heavenly father who is perfect, who's got unconditional love, perfect love. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's a father who can heal those hurts that we've got and fill those gaps that we have inside of our souls. And on top of that, he's the perfect father who's able to love us in the way that we need to be loved and to father us in the way that we need. And some of you would know this passage. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. But in John 14, verse 6 to 8, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I thought some of you would know that. No one comes to the Father. You know, we might put other things in there. No one comes to heaven except through Jesus. No one comes to the truth except through Jesus. No one comes to the meaning of life or eternal life or whatever other important thing you might think that you could put in there. It could still be true. But when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he says, no one comes to the Father in heaven except through him. That's obviously a really big deal and a really important thing. In fact, the reason we are here today is to know Jesus. We're here as a church to know him so that we can know the Father. The the reason we follow Jesus is for the sake of knowing the Father. One day when we die, for those of us who are in Christ, we will go to be with the Father. Our faith is very much about the perfect Father that we've got in heaven. And it goes on in verse 7 and 8, and it says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying he's a perfect representation of the Father in heaven. And then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I was just struck by that line. For some of us today, I think maybe that's the prayer we need to pray. Jesus, would you show us the Father? Because that would be enough. We've got searching in our hearts. We, We know there's something missing on the inside. And maybe today we would come and say, Jesus, actually, if you would show us the Father, that would be enough. That's all we need. All we need is him. All we need is him. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he didn't Teach them to pray to the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords or the Creator of the heavens and the earth or the Savior of all things or any of those kind of other truths or titles you might give to God. He taught them to pray to their dad. He said, our Father in heaven, which is this Aramaic term, Abba, for Father. And as I was reading and researching about this, actually, when children are being weaned, the first words that they were taught in the Hebrew culture was Abba, for Father or Daddy, Or imma for mother or mama or whatever you want to say. So these are the first words the children are taught. I know like in many of my friends' stories, their kids' first words were dada. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says the first word in prayer is dada. It's abba, it's father. As we're learning to know God, our creator, we come to him as dad to know him and walk with him. But what is this father in heaven like? I think for some of us, maybe you've heard this before, you know about the Lord's Prayer. Okay, yes, God's Father, but actually you haven't had a good experience of fathers. Now to hear that God is a Father, that could be a struggle for some of us. It could be a stumbling block. So what is this Father in heaven like? There's two times in the New Testament where we see how God the Father speaks to and treats Jesus. Now listen, I just want you to know, Jesus and the Father spoke all the time. Jesus was always sneaking off to pray or, I don't know, spend the night with the Father or hear from Him or get His will. He says in John chapter 5, I can do nothing on my own. I can only do what I see my Father doing, because Jesus was very, very close with His Father in heaven. There's two times in the New Testament where we see the Father speak to Jesus. The first is in Matthew 7, well, the second is in Matthew 17 at the Transfiguration, And the first is in Matthew 3 that we're going to look at today, Jesus' baptism. And in both of those moments, the Father says exactly the same thing to Jesus, which must be significant. In terms of the kind of Father God is, this tells us a lot about Him. In terms of the kind of love He has for His children, His sons and daughters, that's us in this room today. It also tells us a little bit about what fathers on this earth, or people who play that role, what we're meant to give to the kids in our lives. And also for some of us, maybe today this tells us the kind of things we need God to redeem in our own lives, the kind of things that have been missing from our souls, missing from our stories, that we need to go to the Father in heaven to get. So should we look at this together a little bit? Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism, which is a pretty big event. You know, this is something you do once in your life. It's a significant moment of showing your allegiance to God, and it's this big moment that, of course, his Father would be at. Because God is a present Father. He's not an absentee Father. God shows up. God is there. God cares. God is present. And kind of as we sang this morning, God is faithful to us. He's a faithful, faithful Father who will never let us down or break His promises to us. And in Matthew three sixteen and 17, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I wanted to read you another translation, maybe just to hear that with some fresh language. The NLT says, A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. So I wanted to say, if you're a Christian here today, the Father says that to you too. I can say that to you for two reasons. One, is if you're a Christian here, the Father in heaven has adopted you into his family, which means he's chosen you. Adoption means choice. He chose to add you to his family as his son or daughter. And when he looks at you, he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, who I love, with whom I'm well pleased. The second thing is in Christianity, we learn that our, our identity comes from being in Christ. So whatever is true of Christ in his life is true of us in him. So when the Father looks at Jesus, you're inside As he speaks to Jesus, he speaks to you, and he says those words, you're my boy, you're my girl. I'm so proud of you, and I love you so much. And this morning as I speak about this, I would love you to almost hear these things as if the Father in heaven is speaking them specifically to you. Please personalize them. Don't just hear them in your heads. Hear these in your hearts. I love you. You're my daughter. You're my son. I'm pleased with you, or you bring me great joy. I think those are the kind of things that if we were reminding ourselves of every single day, we'd probably live very differently. You know, that would fill us with great security and power and approval. And these things are very important. See, these are the kind of things our earthly fathers should have given to us. These are gifts from a father to a child. Gifts of identity, who you are. Gifts of acceptance, gifts of approval that actually make us whole and strong human beings. But because we don't live in a perfect world because of sin, because things in this world are not the way they should be, for all of us, no matter how good your father might have been, all of us have had imperfect experiences of these. None of them have been complete or perfect, these gifts. So all of us have lack, and all of us have to come to our Father in heaven to ask him to impress on our hearts these truths, to supernaturally put into us the fact that he loves us, this identity that is from him, this approval that he gives. And we see these things here so much. Identity from the Father gives us the sense of value and belonging. You have worth. You know, the Father from heaven looks at you and says, you are my son, I choose you. You are my daughter, I choose you. Love from the Father gives us the sense of security and acceptance. You can be secure in the love of the Father. When God says he loves you, you can know, that is incredible. The king of the universe loves me. And when he talks about pleasure, this gives us a sense of approval and applause. The thought that God is cheering over you, you know, He likes you. God enjoys you. God is really, really fond of you. So we're going to spend a bit more time looking at those three big ideas today. And the first thing, identity is massive in our world today. Like I think probably all of us wrestle maybe sometimes regularly, sometimes every day, with this idea of who am I? You know, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? Am I valuable? And without receiving identity from our Father in heaven, We'll be constantly trying to find this from other sources. You know, we'll be looking to other places to find the thing that God needs to give us. Got some special friends just popping in the back here. Hello, it's very, very good to see you. Hello, Laura. No, no, no. Welcome. Come and find a seat. Come and find a seat. The reality is for all of us, it's easy to find these things in other places if we're not finding them from the Father in heaven. And what happens is all of us in this room have had people speak words over our lives or there have been these actions that people have done against us. We've had these moments or events in our lives that have shaped and defined us in significant ways. And if we're not going to God for identity, these things will mark us and shape us. And that's not necessarily a healthy thing. So normal everyday events and things that go on, the words people speak to us, can shift from just being normal to giving identity. So for instance, instead of when you mess up thinking, I failed, all of a sudden the shift comes and we think, I am a failure. Instead of, you know, people being disappointed in you because you haven't done something you said you would do, the shift comes and we think, I am disappointing. Instead of thinking, that wasn't worthwhile, you know, that wasn't worth my time, I shouldn't have done that. We think, I'm worthless. Instead of thinking, your opinion is important because you're part of my life, we think, I am what you think of me. Each one of us needs to go to the Father in heaven to get our sense of identity and value and worth. Because God sees us differently to the way other people might. We could have been shaped by these things. We could have been shaped by all of these words. But when we come to God, he wants to redefine us. And there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 6.11 that always strikes me. There's this long list of sins, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then this verse comes up that says, And such were some of you. This was your life. This was your sin, this was your story, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And what it's saying there is God gives us a new label. Now whatever that label was that you were wearing, whatever it is that you think defines you and shapes you, the most significant moment of your life, God tears that off and he puts a new label on you. Gives you a new name, he gives you a new title, he calls you a new person. Whereas other people still might remind you of that sin or that moment or that thing, God defines you by a completely different thing. Who you are in him. You are redefined in Christ. And he puts the label on you of son or daughter. He calls you his child. The second thing we see in this passage is love. And all of us in this room want to be loved. Love is a powerful force. And if we are not receiving that love from our Father in heaven, we're going to be looking to get it from other people. But the reality is no one, no matter how good the love, no matter how well people care for us, are able to fill this God-sized hole that's in all of our souls. We need to find the love of the Father in heaven. Love is a very powerful thing. Now, this story might seem a bit funny to you, but I feel like it does demonstrate this. When I was 17, um, I started going to a new church. It's Red Point Church in Town, the church that we planted out of. And I remember going in there and over a while watching how guys would say to their guy friends, I love you. And it was so weird to me. Like these guys would kind of, you know, do the hand thing, pat on the back, like kind of masculine and tough. Cool guys, guys I looked up to. And then they'd say, I love you and walk away. The other guy would be like, I love you too, bro. Cheers, go. their separate directions. And I was really weirded out by it because my friends didn't do that. Like that was not what we did. Our love was an unshared, unspoken kind of love. It was like the punching each other on the arm, kind of teasing each other and making fun of each other's moms the way guys do. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. But it was that kind of love that we showed to one another. And I remember just being in the church and just thinking, this is odd. Like, these guys are very vocal about their emotions and their feelings, and finding it strange and not enjoying it, not enjoying the hugging and all of this, all of this carrying on. And after a while, starting to watch and think, maybe this actually is quite a nice thing. You know? Maybe... Maybe this is actually quite beautiful, but instead of like the bravado and the teasing and all the jostling and whatever, guys are just honest about their feelings for one another. And I slowly transitioned to become one of those I love you dude kind of guys. And I I had this moment, it was my friend's 18th birthday, my best friend at the time, Danny, um, and we'd grown up together, I think I'd known him since I was about three, we'd been in primary school together, we'd gone through school together. He wasn't one of those church guys. He was one of the kind of punch each other on the arm, tease each other's mom kind of friends. And when his birthday came, I thought, you know what? I want to let him know how much he means to me, how much I love him, how important he is. So I decided I was going to go all out and write him a long text message and tell him all of these things. I wanted to encourage him. I wanted to build him up. I wanted to honor him. I wanted to know what he meant to me. But I kind of ummed and odd about this because I thought he's not one of these church guys who does the I love you thing. We've never said this to each other, like even though we've got 15 years of friendship. And I wrote out this text and I said I love you and I sent it. And I think it changed the nature of our friendship. I think it did take us to a deeper level. I think we were able to, I don't know, love one another and honor one another in a new way. We weren't just punching each other on the arms anymore. But I felt vulnerable about that. I even feel a bit vulnerable telling you guys that because love is a powerful thing. You might go, well, this is like a lame high school example, right? You were 17 years old. You're telling your best friend that you love him. It's really not a big deal. But there's a power in love because the reality is knowing that you are loved gives us a sense of security, gives us a sense of value. It gives us a sense of worth and acceptance and not being loved or being rejected gives us a sense of insecurity and worthlessness. I was kind of going out on the line here. I love him. Is he going to love me back? I watched this silly movie trailer this week. It was a romantic comedy. It doesn't look like it would be a good one, so I'm not going to give you the name or anything. But in this trailer, this guy and girl start dating. And it seems to be going well. And they decide they are going to tell one another they love each other. And afterwards, they go to their friends. He goes to his girlfriend. She goes to her girlfriend. And they tell one another that they've said these powerful words. And their friends are devastated. They think this is the worst thing that they could have done because this is such a risk. And they both ask, who said it first? And she owns up and says, I told him I love him first. And her friend says to her that that was a really bad idea because whoever says I love you first cares more. It's like this thing, she's shown she cares more. She's more invested in this relationship. There's this weird power dynamic thing going on and now she's exposed herself. And in Matthew 3, what we see is that God cares more. God tells us, I love you first. God puts it out there. And in a sense, God has told everyone throughout time, I love you. And he's been rejected many, 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 many times by people. But he's gone out there. I'll tell you first, I care more. I'll put it on the line. I'm willing to let you know how strongly I feel about you. And I want you to know, like, if you doubt that ever, just look to the cross. God has gone very public with his love for us. If you're ever doubting his love, look at the cross and see how much God has done for you. See how loud and proud he's been about you. See how significant his love is because his love is the love with the greatest sacrifice of all time. It's the most costly gift that has ever been given. It's the greatest display of servant-hearted, sacrificial love of all time. And God has done that for you because he cares about you so much. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Not God loved the world. You know, no. he's going all out there. He's not downplaying this. For God so loved you, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. And I do want to ask you today, have you responded to that love? Have you let him in? Have you let what Jesus did on the cross to forgive your sin come into your heart and your mind and your life? Are you right with God? Because he is pursuing you, He is chasing after you, he's gone public with what he thinks about you, and he wants to know you. And at Jesus' baptism, God speaks. You know, he goes public again with how passionately he loves his son. And I thought about this because I don't know how many people are in that crowd and in the waters Jesus is baptized, but God's voice booms over everyone else. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And this is not a moment where the father pulls Jesus aside and kind of, cups the nape of his neck and just whispers into his ear, my boy, I love you, I'm proud of you. He says this in front of everyone, you know, everyone that mattered, everyone Jesus knew, they all heard how passionate the Father in heaven was about him. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that your father had done that. Like, I don't know what the situation would be. Maybe it's, I don't know, at your baptism. Maybe it's at like a school event. Maybe it's at a work event. Your father busts in and he just takes the mic and he says, Maybe you don't realize, but there's someone special in the crowd here today and points you out. Can you stand? That's my girl. That's my boy. I love them so much, and I am so proud of them. You'd be embarrassed. You'd be like, oh, Dad, like this, is, this is so embarrassing. But what would that do for you if your father had done something like that? What would that change in you if you went public, that big display of emotion showing how much he cared? Because God has done that for you. God is speaking those words over you even now. The last thing that God shows there is his pleasure. I think we all want that. We want to know that someone enjoys us. Someone is proud of us. Someone thinks we're nice to be around. And without this pleasure from the Father, we're constantly going to be trying to please other people. And if we disappoint others, that's going to be toxic for us. They don't like me, you know. Rejection will be toxic. But I want you to know what God is like. God is like a beaming father watching his son or his daughter live their life with a video camera out the whole time. He doesn't want to miss a thing. He wants to keep everything for the future. He's videoing everything. He's seeing every moment because he cares so much about the details of your life. I don't know what your story was like, but my folks took a lot of photos of us. I remember going into my dad's office and just being bored as a kid because it's work, you know, just wasting time while he finishes off. I'd kind of walk around and play with everything he had, like paper openers and, I don't know, water and glass, whatever I could do. And I remember just a few pictures that my dad had in his office. One was of my sister and I. We were wearing awful 90s clothes, bright colors, Terrible patterns, just like everyone is wearing today. There was us outside in the garden, just together. You know, I think my sister was sitting on the tree and I was standing by her. And then the other picture was of me, Kloof High School, wearing my suit, what is it? My blazer, my tie, my shirt. And I had terrible braces and my smile and I had pimples all over my face. And I just thought of that, like, Dad, could you not have airbrushed those or gotten better pictures or something? But my dad was proud of me and he was proud of my sister. He didn't have pictures of us with sporting achievements because we didn't have any or (laughs) holding up trophies. My sister had a few trophies, but he didn't have these kind of like caught in action achievement photos, just a photo of us in the garden being who we were. And then another photo with me with lots of flaws and imperfections like bad teeth, bad skin, just bad. And those were the photos he had on display because he wasn't trying to present something. He was proud of who we were and not what we did. And in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, he hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't done any ministry. He hasn't preached. He hasn't healed anyone or cast out any demons. He's just been making tables for 30 years. And the father looks at him and says, I'm pleased with you. I love you. You're my son. And for you and I, as we come to the father, we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to earn his love. We just receive his love. He wants to give it to you. He loves you so much. I want to ask you today, what do you think God thinks of you? Because probably what we think about God and what we think God thinks of us is the most important thing about us, you know. What do you think God thinks of you? There's a really interesting verse in Zephaniah 3 verse 17. And I've got this paraphrase written by a man named Sam Storms of this. I wanted to read it to you. It says, the Lord your God is with you all the time. He is a powerful and mighty warrior who saves you. When he thinks of you, he exults in festive pleasure and with great delight. At other times, he becomes quiet as he reflects on his deep affection for you. And he celebrates who you are with joyful singing. I'm not going to demonstrate that today. <laughs> the opposite of joyful singing would be kind of dreary singing. So God sings joyfully about you. He's not going, Grant is great. He's passionately rejoicing and singing over us. I mean, I want you to think about this because the two pictures there, one is the loud and proud God rejoicing over you with singing. The other is the quiet God just kind of watching over you silently. So the first one, I guess, is like that picture of the father on the side of the sports field cheering for his kids. But I'd love you to almost know that every single day of your life, God is the cheerleader on the sidelines of your life. He's standing there watching you live and he's cheering. He is rejoicing over you with singing. So let's just get bare bones with this. When you wake up in the morning, when you crack your eyes open and the sleep is there and you have to wipe it out for the guys, maybe some lint in your belly button. I don't know what your story is. God is rejoicing over you with singing. Like God is really excited. When you're brushing your teeth, God is rejoicing over you with singing. When you go to the bathroom, he's rejoicing over you with singing. As you make your tea or coffee, as you drive to work, the whole time, God is rejoicing over you with singing. He's celebrating who you are with these words of joy. As you're in your meetings, as you do whatever you do at work, as you spend time with people, as you come home, as you get into bed, as your eyes close, the whole time God is on the sidelines of your life, rejoicing over you with singing. God is a big fan of your work. I love, you don't almost see God in a different way. God is on your team, team Grant, team whoever you are. He's got a big t-shirt, your name. God's a fan. Boobuzela, foam finger cheering rejoicing over you with singing all throughout the day because he loves you so much that's what God thinks of you and the other thing Sam Storms says there in his translation is about this quiet God this silent God We might think that's a bit funny loud and proud and silent but if you think of a father or mother holding their child in their hands looking down they're not making a big noise they want the child to sleep but also they're watching this child You know, looking down, maybe stroking the head, maybe a couple of kisses. But just in awe of this beautiful child that God has given them, you know. And the Father in heaven is on the sidelines of your life, cheering you on, madly in love with you. But he also, I don't know, as you sleep, watches you sleep as a 33-year-old man, whatever your story is, just in love with you. So pleased with you, so content with you. I don't know if you believe that today that is the truth of the scriptures for you and I'd love you to believe that and receive that if you've never heard these words before this is what your father in heaven wants to say to you this is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased Or this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased can we stand and just close our eyes and we'll end in some prayer together